I know that the cutting of the leaders here represent cutting off all bad sins. But how would a reader get ordained if they were bold? Serious question. Uh, the cutting actually represents the five wounds of Christ. So he is carrying the cross of Christ and as the person who wrote this question, yes, cutting off all bad sins because in Christ, when, when we crucify uh, our members, our lusts. About the bold, uh, we differentiate between two kinds of boldness. People actually who shave their head to be bold, and for these people, we mandate that they should grow their hair if they want to be uh, ordained reader. But uh, for those who uh, are bold, like uh, to tell us, uh, then for them actually you can, yeah, it's okay to ordain them without cutting the hair. So nothing wrong with this as, uh, as an exception. Everyone around me expect sex as a part of dating and courting. How do I go about finding a relationship in this atmosphere? I don't think everyone around you, uh, because there are many godly people, and uh, you need actually to choose uh, your friends from among godly people. And also, dating and courting should not be done unless you are serious in marriage. But if you are not serious in marriage, then one-to-one relationship, or what you call dating, is very unhealthy and has many uh, negative consequences. So, when actually you are in a serious relationship, if you choose a godly person, then this godly person knows that uh, premarital sex is a sin, is sexual immorality. And if he doesn't respect this, then you may consider, uh, is this the right person that you want to marry or not? If a person doesn't walk in the fear of God from even before marriage, so are you going to marry a person uh, who does not fear God? So the concept of dating and courting for young people is not right. Be friends with everybody. The concept of premarital sex is, is wrong also. It's sin. It is sin of sexual immorality. Dating should start when you are serious about marriage. And if the person whom you're going to marry, ask you to have sex before marriage, then you may consider whether this is the right person for you or not. Another question, sometimes the thought of the devil in general scares me. 
I know I should not fear because to my understanding I have the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit with me. But how do I rationalize the fear that I may have of the devil? What are some ways to keep my mind at ease? Are daily prayers and leaving this to God good ways to protect ourselves? Definitely. As you said, you have the Holy Trinity with you. And the Lord said, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. He said, those who are in my hand, the devil cannot touch them. So, if you are in the hand of God, the devil cannot touch you. Yes, our enemy, the devil, is going around like a roaring lion. But St. James said, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Daily prayers, the word of God, and the power of the Holy Cross, the intercession of the saints, actually can help you to overcome this fear. So when you are attacked by these thoughts of fear, cry to God, make the sign of the cross, renounce Satan in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, ask the angels and the saints to intercede on you, keep a strong relationship with God, not only to pray when you are attacked with these thoughts of fear, but keep a good relationship with God, then you will enjoy the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. When will there be more dialogue between Eastern Orthodox and Oriental Orthodox regarding unity? The dialogue stopped now and uh, it, it needs uh, grace from God, it needs hearts that are searching for the truth, it needs humbleness <coughs> to recognize uh, our theological mistakes for those who have theological mistakes in order to be able to reach the unity. Uh, so we hope that the two families will start again uh, the dialogue that was started back then in the 60s of the last centuries. Uh, but there are new ideas and new philosophies and new theories uh, has to be addressed. So now actually the difference between the Oriental and Eastern not only regarding the nature of Christ but there are other issues uh, they start to adopt and to believe in that also has been to to be discussed if we want seriously to, to reach unity between the two families. How can I stop talking to hear God's voice? Uh, Mar Isaac of Syria says, Sinan, 
silence your tongue that your heart speak and silence your heart that God may speak uh, sometimes we need to say with Samuel speak Lord for your servant is listening and this is the importance of the quiet time try to have quiet time every morning before getting distracted 10 to 20 minutes every morning in which actually after you pray and after you read the scripture now you talk to God just be silent and try to silence the internal dialogue in your mind and just say with Samuel speak Lord for your uh, son uh, is listening uh, I said early morning because early morning the, your, your mind is still fresh you did not actually hear many news or uh, you faced many uh, things that you are thinking about so if you start your day by praying reading the scripture and then 10 to 20 minutes in, in silence and quiet time gradually day after day you will learn how to listen to the voice of God that's speaking inside you but it needs training as St. Paul said in Hebrews chapter 5 those who have trained their senses it will not happen just like this you sit in quiet time and you will be able to hear God's voice it needs training it will not happen from the first time it needs training with quiet time in order to be and meditation in order to listen to the voice of God I often think about God talk to God I love serving God and his people but I don't often pray the Akbaya I don't read the Bible as much as I would like to which I know I need to improve what can help motivate me to be more regular consistent in my Bible reading and am I in a spiritual danger because I don't like to pray the Akbaya or how can I grow into being more consistent with it sometimes we don't like the Akbaya because we don't understand the Psalms that we are praying but if we understand the Psalm and this is the purpose of studying the book of Psalms if you understand the Psalms and then when you pray them pray them in your own words as if they are reflecting your own status then uh, gradually you will love the Akbaya and you will enjoy the praying with the Akbaya uh, about are you in a spiritual danger personal prayers like you are eating unhealthy food but when you pray the Akbaya you are eating healthy food because the Akbaya mainly 90% of the Akbaya is the book of Psalms and the book of Psalms actually inspired by the Holy Spirit so you are praying Psalms that were written by the Holy Spirit and you said also you, you, you don't read the Bible as much so there is issue here with the word of God 
But the word of God, as David said, they are sweeter than honey in, in my in my tongue. So start gradually. Maybe start with just half a chapter every day. And when you read the Akbaya, maybe start with one psalm, two psalms. Of course, with the guidance of your spiritual father. And gradually, with the guidance of your spiritual father, you can increase. When you have something small and you are consistent with it, then you need, you feel achievement. Then you can add to it. But if you start, for example, with the seven hours of the Agbaya, all the Psalms, it will be, it seems like heavy burden, so you will not enjoy it and you will start to rush it. Sometimes, why we don't enjoy the Agbaya? Because we want to rush it. We, we will rush it in order to finish. You will not enjoy it. Agbaya, you need actually to pray it slowly in order to enjoy every word in it. So discuss with your spiritual father to give you a canon or a rule, spiritual rule, that actually start with something small and increase uh, gradually. Another thing actually, if there is uh, your spouse or your brother, your sister can pray with you, two are better than one. So if you are not motivated, when two start to pray together, in the same time, uh, they will support one another. Uh, it is easier when you pray with someone than praying with yourself. Another advice, set a certain time for prayer. Because if you leave the prayer to the end of the day, you will be tired and you are not actually uh, in, in, in a good mood to pray and to enjoy just you want to rush the Agbaya. You know, when you visit the monastery, for example, 5 p.m. is the uh, Vesper prayer. So 5 p.m., everyone in the monastery leaves whatever he does. If I want a phone call, I will end it. If I am on my computer, I will end it. If I'm reading the book, I will end it. And I go and pray. It is a time for prayer. In the same way, we need to do the same. If you set a certain time, for morning prayer, for example, I will wake up at 6 in the morning from 6 to 7. It's my prayer and quiet time and the Bible reading. And at the evening, from 8. So when you set a certain time, every morning and every night, leave everything in your hand at this time and go and pray. Uh, this actually will help you to be consistent with your prayer. Another question, who are the powers and authorities in the heavenly places that we are at war against in Ephesians chapter 6? Do you, in, the, in the divine liturgy, we say about the angels, before whom, before you stand, the angels, the archangels, the principalities, the power, the authorities. So when Satan, who was an archangel, fell, fell with him some of the angels. The, these angels, the fallen angels, were from the ranks of the powers and authorities. So the fallen angels were from these ranks, the powers and authorities. So St. Paul, when he said, we are fighting with powers and authorities, so he's speaking about fallen angels, the demons who fell with Satan, and these demons were from these ranks, 
their powers and authorities. Are Satan and his evil ones in hell? They are in, in Hades, not in hell. Because as you read the book of Revelation, at the end of the time, at the final uh, battle between the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, Satan, he will actually throw him in the uh, lake of fire, which is hell. So Satan is bound now in Hades. Bound means there is boundaries on him. Uh, so he can move within the certain boundaries that God set on him. But at the end of the time, he will be released. Uh, and after this, uh, Christ will come and uh, will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will be sent to the eternal fire. Are the gods in Psalm 82, uh, they are the demons that God condemns? No, they are not the demons. In Psalm 82, the gods here refer to the judges of Israel who were actually, and also the judges that judged our Lord Jesus Christ. Like the, uh, the high priests and the priests, the Sanhedrin before whom the Lord stood. So, when he said, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. Gods here, the judges of the earth. So God is reminding them that they will be judged by God, the ultimate judge. That's why he say, say to them, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. So here actually God is addressing the judges of Israel. And then in verse 6, I said you are gods and all of you are children of the Most High. In verse 6, speaking about us, the believers, who received the word of God, who received Christ as our King and our Savior. And uh, you are the children of the Most High. And that's why, you know, as I explained, my God, your God, and my Father, your Father. So now we share even in the title of God, but with a small G. Uh, God means here Lord, not God to be worshipped like how the Mormon believes. No, but God actually means Lord. I, I made you uh, or masters. I made you uh, masters, glorified, honored as I am honored, and all of you are the children of the Most High. And this verse actually was quoted by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the last verse in Psalm 82, Arise, O God, judge the earth. God, the unjust gods, uh, the unjust actually judges. So the word gods was repeated twice. The first time referred to the judges of Israel, the second time to those who believe in God. Why women cover their hair? Are they covering up the, their glory or men's glory? Why do they cover up for the angels? So, if we read First Corinthians chapter 11, 
it will explain this in a very beautiful way. St. Paul says, maybe you can put it on the screen so everyone can understand. In verse 3 he said, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. So the head of man is Christ. And the head of woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Let me start by the head of Christ is God. Does this mean that God is superior to Christ? Definitely not. This is the heresy of Arius. So the word head means Christ the Son came from the Father. That's why the head of Christ is God. And the head of the woman is man because the the woman was taken from man. And the head of man is Christ means uh, God the Father created us by the Son, created the man by the Son. So, let me explain uh, before I read from verse 4. So, if the head of the man is Christ, when I cover my head, then I'm covering Christ. I'm covering the glory of Christ. When the woman covers her head, she is covering the glory of man, glory of humanity, because her head represents humanity. That's why in verse 4 he said, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. Dishonors who his head? Christ. So as if he is dishonoring Christ, because he is covering Christ. And this is not a covering. This is actually the crown of priesthood. And it is found in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, Aaron has turban and it's written on it, uh, Holy to the Lord. And in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, you can see that 24 priests having 24 crowns above their heads. So this is not a head covering. That's the crown of priesthood. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonor her head. Because why she dishonor her head? Because she is revealing the glory of humanity in the presence of God. When she doesn't cover her head as if we are bragging with our glory, the glory of humanity in the presence of God. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. So St. Paul is saying, if it is not beautiful for the woman to shave her head because the hair of the woman is her beauty, so uh, she dishonor her head as if she is shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be short or shaved, let her be covered. Now he is explaining why. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. He said the head of man is Christ. So if I'm covering my head, I'm covering the glory of Christ. 
But woman is the glory of man. So when she uncover her head in the church, in the presence of Christ, then we are bragging and showing the glory of humanity in the presence of God. And now in verse 8 explaining what does mean by head. As I told you, Christ is born from the Father. That's why we say the head of Christ is, is God. Now, man is not from the woman, but woman from man. Again, that's why the head of the woman is man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. That's why he said the head of the woman is the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. Uh, The son of God was obedient to the father to the death. As we read in Philippians, he obeyed the father unto death because the son was born from the father. Humanity should be obedient to God and woman should be submissive to her husband. So that's so this veil also has another meaning which is authority. Usually people under authority they put something on their head, mean I am under authority, like in the army, like the police. So having something on your head, I am under authority. Because of the angels. So he is giving a beautiful example here. The angels are very, very beautiful creation. But because they are under the authority, in the presence of God, they cover their faces. We say they have six wings. With two wings, they cover their faces. They cover their uh, feet. And with two, they fly. And if you study the book of Isaiah, the, uh, sorry, the book of Ezekiel, the, the vision that Ezekiel saw in Ezekiel chapter 1, the covering of their faces was not like this, but it was like this, uh, like a dome above their head. And actually, the four angels that carrying the throne of God, they have their wings like this, like a dome. And then the throne of God, he is seated above the cherubim. He is seated above this, like, like dome. So it's like covering over the head. So St. Paul saying, if the angels, because they are under authority, they cover their faces and their head in the presence of God. So women should not cover their head in the presence of God. If the angels who are beautiful creation cover their heads in the presence of God, also we should do the same in the presence of God. Unless anyone misunderstand this as if St. Paul said the woman is uh, inferior to the man, in verse 11 he made it very clear. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. How come? As the woman came from man, the first woman, Eve, was created from Adam's side. So man also comes through woman. All of us were born from mothers. So also we come through women. But all things are 
from God. Then he said in verse 13, judge among yourselves after you understood the point of authority and the point of uh, glory. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Then some people say it is cultural. No, he's saying judge among themselves, yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Don't even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? Because yeah, even nature teaches us this. Because even nature wants to glorify God. So naturally, men don't actually uh, grow their hairs. The nature teaches us to glorify God because the head of man is cracked. And if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her. It's glory. For her head is given to her for a covering. So he's saying even the nature, God give woman long hair as if she should cover uh, her head. And if the, if the long hair is glory, then this glory should be covered in the presence of God. And apparently some people were arguing with St. Paul about why women should cover their heads. So St. Paul concluded this part by saying, but if you, anyone seems to be contentious, so you're going to argue, no, it's culture, why you are forcing this on us? He said, we have no such a custom, nor do the churches of God. So he said, this is the ruling of God. Don't be contentious about the ruling of God. Do you want to follow the law of God or the law of, of humanity? This is the law of God. And if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom. This should not be in the church of God, nor do the churches of God do this. So as if St. Paul concluded by saying, this is the uh, way it should be done, and we should not uh, be in contention regarding this. Last question, is any hardship means I am away from God? No. Jesus himself went through uh, hardship. Does this mean he is away? He is God himself. So no. Uh, quickly, there are six reasons for suffering or hardship. Now, number one, it can be because of my own mistakes or sins. If I steal, I will go to jail. If I don't study, I will fill the exam. Number two, from the corruption in the world. We are living in a corrupted world. That's why there are earthquakes, hurricanes, children uh, die or born with congenital anomalies. So this part of living in a corrupted world and the corruption entered after the fall of Adam because God created everything good. Number three, the attacks of the of the devil. Uh, devil is attacking the church and attacking the whole world. He's the enemy of God. Number four, it can be a discipline from God. And number five, it can be a punishment from God. Let me differentiate between discipline and punishment. Discipline means you didn't do anything wrong, but God wants to keep you disciplined. Like if a son asked his father for a toy and he has a lot of toys, the father may tell him, no, I'm not going to get you a toy. He's not punishing him, but he doesn't want 
his son to be spoiled. So that is discipline. Punishment, like if I am a careless driver and I get into an accident, so two things will happen to me. My car will be totally lost, so that is the consequence of my sin, like the first reason I mentioned. And then the police come and give me a ticket. Then actually I got two things. So in my sins, number one, I will reap the consequence of my sin, and also God may punish me. But this punishment for my healing, for my improvement, as when the police give you ticket, actually this will help you to be careful in the future when you drive. And the last one is test of faith, when God is testing our faith, like Abraham, like the widow at Serfot Saida when he sent her Elijah. Teachers test their students to know, you know, uh, their standard or their knowledge. But God knows. When God puts us in test of faith, it's for our improvement, for our purification. Like when uh, God put Abraham in this test, Abraham actually learned something about God that God can provide all the time. So these are the six reasons. Either my own sins, corruption of the world, attacks from Satan, discipline by God, punishment from God, or a test of faith. My reaction differs based on which one. If it is my sins, then my reaction should be repentance. If it is corruption of the world, my reaction should be perseverance. Blessed is the man who endured the trial. If it is a text from Satan, I need to put the whole armor of God, Ephesians chapter 6. If it is discipline or punishment from God, then I need to accept it. If you don't accept the discipline, then you are illegitimate children, as St. Paul said in his letter to Hebrews. And if it is test of faith, obedience to the commandment, as Ibrahim obeyed God as a widow in the servant side to obey God. So not every hardship means I am away from God. Many righteous suffered. All the disciples were martyred. As I said, Jesus Christ himself suffered. But can you say he's away from God? No, he's God himself. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.